I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the hockey podcast, part of the Athletic Hockey Show Network. Pierre Lebrun. Wait, Pierre, why do I have this feeling that you're literally standing at your front door in Toronto? You got bags around your feet. Are you you got like holding the mic up while you're getting ready to go out the door? This is final podcast of the 2020-21 season. I, I gotta tell you, I'm already a bit misty-eyed about it. It's the final countdown. Do you, know, do you know I had to look that up? I didn't know that was the band Europe. Did you know that? Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a heavy metal guy. Well, I, they weren't that heavy, but you, you know I'm an 80s rocker. Like. Yeah, I know I know that. And yeah, I wish the when I used to rock the better. mullet. <laughs> How's my singing? Yeah, it was good. That was good. Now, so tell me, like, are you... Are you a bit emotional? Like it's a, it's been a grind, yeah, right? I mean, you've been, emotional. you've been I'm grinding. Just very happy. Not yeah. emotional. No. All right. No, but I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Um, it, it, you know, for everyone, it's been a crazy 16 months. And, uh, but the weird thing, uh, I think for, for a lot of hockey media is that, you know, 1920 just bled into 2021 and and you know some people took time off and i hope they did because um i think it was important to decompress if you had a chance but uh, you know i didn't uh, and a lot of people didn't like i really went from the end of the the end of the bubble to all the off-season activity last fall to are we going to have a season and what's going to season look like and doing updates on that and and then into the season and then everything that happened this year and it's just like i'm just like Pride right now, as are a lot of people, and 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 it's just been a an interesting sixteen months covering a sport during a pandemic in terms of not having you know face to face access, or at least I have, and I know you started too in the last few months. But um, you know, it's everything is still through Zoom or phone, so it's really been uh, uh, I think a, a, a year and a half that no one will ever forget in terms of of covering pro sports. But um, but hopefully, um, you know, back to normal in the fall, although <laughs> I don't know if there's any guarantee of that. Well, it, it'll be great because we can ask our guest today, super agent J.P. Barry, who helped Dougie Hamilton ink a, an absolutely whopper deal with the New Jersey Devils on yesterday, the first day of free agency. So J.P. Barry is going to join us later in the show. And it'll be I, I'm curious to see what J.P. has to say about, you know, about the, the nature of the business and what it's been like to be an agent. You know, through all of this, so I, I'm. That's a that's a good segue. Just remind me to ask that question when JP comes on. But um, I'm like, okay, so we've got a lot to unpack. Uh, the first day of free agency, uh, and I, I, you know, I feel a little bit cranky. Maybe it's because I haven't had too too. I don't feel like I've decompressed yet. But you know, I always laugh, uh, especially as you pointed out in one of your tweets or in one of the notes packages w- when the NHL took away the 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 free agent window, which I thought was a great idea. Right, pre agent should be able to go to a city and talk to owners and see things and blah 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 anyway when you take that away and and i looked at my watch yesterday in about twelve twenty six eastern i was like oh this it's just about over right so yeah there's no tampering right guys aren't aren't talking to each other i don't know why that makes me mad but it's it's one of those you know it's a rule but it's not a rule so i, I don't know why that makes me mad but it was i we always use the term frenzy i i felt yesterday was there was a frenzy we, I, where do you where are you on the frenzy scale from yesterday 
Yeah, that was busy. That was, uh, and I think it's, it's, you know, a couple of agents and GMs I talked with. We didn't get that really last fall. And last fall, when we had free agency, the problem is people really didn't know if the season would actually happen. And why would I invest in players when we're not sure if we're going to play games or play games without fans and no revenue. And there was sort of this frozen feeling last fall and, 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 and that's just clearly gone. I mean, it's, it's business as usual again. And some teams are going to regret what they did because yeah, it's business as usual, but the cap is still flat. <laughs> so, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll look back on some of the things that transpired uh, on the first day of free agency and say, Oh boy, that was a mistake, but <laughs> it was, it was pretty wild and um, definitely some surprises. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's just such a fun story with the Seattle Kraken and uh, come, you know, as, as I wrote in my piece that, uh, my last column of the season, yes. you know, I the just Kraken, read it, by the way, the Kraken coming off the top rope to really affect the goalie carousel and uh, and 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 sign Philip Grubauer. I mean, that really threw Colorado for a for a spin and uh, forced them into a trade that, while they had been on the back burner talking to Arizona for a bit here, that's not the price they want to pay. That was a high price for potentially one year of Darcy Kemper. Although, if he plays well, potentially more than one year. Uh, but it, it was amazing. The whole goalie carousel to me was the most fascinating part of the day, really. Yeah. Well, what? Look, I, I, let's let's break it down a little bit because I, I'm with you, and, and and you alluded to it in your your final piece. You know, as the day went on and <laughs> goalies were going hither and yon, it was crazy, and and especially with Seattle, you know, having um, you, you know selected Chris Dreger, uh, Vitek Vanacek. Uh, from Washington looked like they were going to go that sort of young, cheap route, and Joey Decor, of course, the third goalie they picked. But uh, you know, we'll we'll grow up in that system. And uh, you, when <laughs> when they announced Grubauer late in the afternoon or early evening, whenever it was, it was like, okay, yeah, that's um, that really changes things. And I, and I really thought Seattle had a terrific day, adding Jaden Schwartz, um, Alex Wenberg. Alex yeah. Wenberg, I thought was a nice add yeah. there too. Yeah. Well, and they're starting to fill out. I talked about this on TSN uh, signing off last night. Like Seattle started to answer some questions that people had after a rather quiet expansion draft night, right? And, and yeah, for sure. Again, Vegas kind of skewered our minds as to what we thought the modern day expansion process was supposed to be like because they said, they, you know, it was so amazing what they did in putting their team together. But it just goes to show you there are different ways to do it. And now we're realizing, okay, because, you know, it was an A-plus effort by Vegas in terms of the perfect way to launch their team. But the one thing they didn't do, and obviously it didn't hurt them because they went to the Stanley Cup final, but the one thing they didn't do is dip their toes in free agency on July 1st, 2017. Right. I mean, they signed Brad Hunt and a couple of depth guys, but I mean, they didn't in a meaningful way. And this is where Seattle, uh, you know, as I like to say, Vegas did all its work at the front of their expansion draft process, and Seattle is doing all their work really at the back of it. Yep. So there may be two different ways here for for two expansion teams to have success. So three very notable signings on the first day of free agency for Seattle, and I don't know that they're done. By the way, well, so, and and I think you know, like it's hey, it's it's way early, right? I mean, training camp. What I think September twenty second, if I'm not mistaken, that's when training camp starts. So a lot of water to pass yet. But when you look at that Pacific Division and you look at how this Seattle team is built as we speak now, and the goaltending has the potential to be a a you know maybe a plus, but certainly a good a tandem with Dreger and and uh, Vezina Trophy finalist Philip Grubauer. Um, they're going to be a factor in that Pacific division. And it's, you know, it's the weakest division in hockey, at least on paper, but I, I, I see no reason that Seattle will not be right in that mix. You know, Vegas is going to win that division, but in that two, three, four hole, Seattle's going to be right there. And uh, I think it's, I, I'm so excited to see, you know, how the fans respond and what, you know, the treat that they're in for watching NHL hockey and watching this team play. So uh, I'm excited for that. But let's, mm. I, I want to talk before JP Berry joins. I want to talk a little bit more about the goaltending. Um, is there one is there one that you were like, OK, well, we talked about Philip Grubauer, but, uh, you know, of, of the many teams that were, you know, and we're, we're not talking about a lot of teams who just 
added a backup. And we're teams talking about teams who who made pivotal goaltending moves that are going to have an impact on the balance of power and, and the landscape of the NHL next season and, and beyond. Is there one that you were like, wow, I can't wait to see how that turns out? Well, uh, you know, certainly fascinated by the fact that essentially the the Hurricanes and Leafs traded traded starting goalies. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course, they sure. didn't do it directly, but but via free agency, Freddie Anderson and Peter Mrazek swapping spots, and uh, and just so intrigued by all of that. Both guys with a lot to prove. You know, Frederick Anderson with a injury marred season, losing his starting job with Jack Campbell, but I think he's got tremendous bounce back potential. I I think that's a sneaky good signing by the Hurricanes. Um, especially playing behind that blue line. And um, and Peter Mraz, of course, lost his starting job to Alex Nedeljkovic, of course, is no longer part of the Hurricanes either. But um, And obviously the Leafs front office, uh, looking at all their options, felt that this guy had bounce-back ability as well. So that so that whole thing will be measured all season long, I would think. And, and so much writing on that signing for the Leafs because, you know, Jack Campbell is such a wonderful story, but you can't trot him out every night. You know, they're going to have to yeah. take care of his – of his body and his workload. And that's why Morazic is such an important part of that tandem. So that, so that's a, that, that switch is, is, is absolutely fascinating to me for sure. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, what the avalanche were forced to do, you know, it, it, it you know, as I wrote, I think that this is a tough part of this time of year. There are no guarantees. I'm pretty confident in my reporting and saying that Freddie Anderson uh, was a pretty strong option for Colorado as well. Like I think Freddie Anderson had Colorado and Carolina on the table. And the problem is the Avs would only go there, of course, if they thought they couldn't sign Grubauer. But at the time of the market opening, they were still knee deep in trying to get the Grubauer thing across the finish line. So what can you do? You can't tell Freddie Anderson to wait five hours because <laughs> yeah, Carolina would have moved on by then. So Anderson did the right thing. He signed in Carolina, and then Colorado was really pot committed at that point to try to get the Grubauer thing across the line. But with, but they stood firm on not wanting to give him six million dollars a year, which had been a problem in that negotiation throughout. And you know, I think their final offer to Grubauer was somewhere in the fives times five years, but he gets six years times five nine in, in Seattle. So, yeah. and by the time the dust clears on that. Most of the goalie, most of the goalies on Frazier's are gone, right? So, so the Avs really had to scramble, and and the good thing is they had already talked to Arizona a few times, so it's not like it was a, a fresh conversation. But that price they paid was <laughs> a first in Connor Timmins. My goodness, that's a high price. Well, yeah, you mentioned uh, Carolina, and not only do they sign Freddie Anderson and, and two years at four point five million dollars, that's that's pretty respectable for a guy who's won a lot of hockey games. I, I know the playoffs have been a different story for Freddie Anderson and the Leafs, frankly. So, uh, but to me, the interesting part is adding Auntie Ranta. Uh, speaking of the Arizona Coyotes, um, I had Mike McKenna helping me yesterday doing some grading, and because there were so many goalies on the move, that, that Mike McKenna's uh, analysis was just so incredible. But <clears throat> I was interested. You know, Auntie Ranta's knock is that he he's you know he lacks durability. He's he's been often injured, and it's probably what has kept him from achieving his real potential. But you know, Mike McKenna. Was talking about just the high, high end for Auntie Ranta, and if both those guys stay healthy, Anderson and Ranta, you know, I, I, I understand the questions about trading uh, Rookie of the Year finalist Nadelkovich to Detroit for you know pretty low return. Um, clearly, not a long term belief there, but boy, this tandem, if it stays healthy, to me that vaults Carolina, you know, into that sort of upper echelon of of one and you know one A and one B or however you want to put it in terms of of goaltending depth. Uh, mm -hmm. And the Hurricanes aren't done. I mean, especially after they traded uh, Warren Fogel and lost Brock McGinn in free agency. Underrated loss to Aaron Brock McGinn. He was really a popular guy in that room. Um, I think the Hurricanes would like to add a forward. And as I reported last night, they're in on Brandon Saad, along with other teams. So there's no guarantee. But that would be a nice addition for them. Um, and by the time this podcast comes out, who knows that Saad will have made his decision. But um but again, we'll talk to JP Barry in a few minutes here. But you can't certainly can't, uh, you know, can't sugarcoat the loss of Dougie Hamilton. That's a no. pretty special player. Uh, you know, they'll have to find ways to to fill those minutes. And, and I guess you could argue if any team in the NHL could could 
get by after losing such a, a talented blue liner, it, w- it would be Carolina because of their, you know, their, their depth led by, by Slavin and Pesci, et cetera, pretty shay. Um, but nevertheless, he, he, I think his skill set was pretty unique in that group. Yeah. Oh, there's no question. He's, he's, his numbers are incredible, and, and the way he plays the game. Um, uh, Corey Massasak and I did a uh, a news pod last night, and and talking about you know how he's going to fit in on a on a New Jersey blue line has been really you know reconfigured. It's bigger, it's tougher to play against. Uh, there's lots of moving parts on the back end there. You know, Ryan Gray is coming over from Colorado, and Ty Smith is a, an excellent young defender on that blue line. And, you know, that that young group up front, uh, Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, you know, I I don't know whether they're going to be a playoff team or not, but I'll tell you, Dougie Hamilton, is, I, I think, is going to help this team play meaningful games um, into February and March next year in a, in a metropolitan division that's for me, is really in a state of flux. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. So, I, I, before we... Talk to JP Perry. Before we leave the Hurricanes, I, I was curious. You know, one of the one of the moves that the Canes made, and it's in it's a direct result of of losing Dougie Hamilton, was to bring in Tony D'Angelo on a one year, one million dollar deal. Of course, a very polarizing figure, banished uh, from the New York Rangers last year. Um, I sat in on both the calls, both with Don Waddell and uh, and with Tony D'Angelo, um, and, and and you know the team's not. You know they're they're not naive. They they understand there's there's going to be there is already and there will continue to be a lot of blowback about signing a player um, with Tony D'Angelo's history and his reputation. Surprise on that? Do you think this is a good place for him? I mean, to me, if you're gonna, you know, if there if there's a coach that can work someone through. You know, whatever Tony D'Angelo has been going through and the issues he's had, Rod Brindamore might be that guy. But I wonder what you made of the D'Angelo signing because it's, you know, he's basically been out there for, you know, for a long time since the Rangers decided they didn't want him as part of their organization. Yeah, I don't have a lot of thoughts about it. I think that, uh, you know, his actions now moving forward are going to be pretty important. Got to make sure these aren't just words, right? For sure. Yeah. and so he, he'll be under the microscope. I thought Sarah Sivian wrote a very thoughtful column last night about it, or Hurricanes beat writer. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, it, listen, it's it, it's a risk. Uh, the Hurricanes certainly would not have done this without a lot of you know a lot of background conversations. Um, but you are you know you are taking a risk to the brand of the team when you're doing something like this, and I think. Listen, they weren't the only team. There was there was pretty solid interest in the player. Um, teams wanting to give him a second chance because, let's just be blunt, they understand that he's a talented player. Yeah. And and but with that comes a responsibility of making sure that um, that you know he, he lives up to all the things he said in that call yesterday. Yeah, no question. And uh, you know it's. Yeah, I asked Don Waddell that. You know, what? Why is this worth this risk, given all the work you've done in that community and rebuilding that brand? And you know, that's we're going to find out, and and we'll see whether the, that young man is good to his word or not. Um, before JP Berry gets here, I, yeah, I loved your uh, year end or your final column, and you and I, uh, you know, I know they accuse us sometimes two bodies, one brain, but uh, you highlighted a team. Uh, that I've been thinking about for the last couple of days, and and the work that the Winnipeg Jets have done, um, you know, it, that that's a it's a hard market, right? It's just it's hard, it's hard to get people to go there. It's just you know, and they've had some, you know, they've they've gone through a, you know, some ups and downs with uh, you know losing half their back end and Dustin Bufflin, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I thought Kevin Dayoff has had a tremendous off season, and uh, you highlighted this as well, but uh, very quietly. That is a team that I would put, if not at the very top of the central division, in you know mm-hmm. in, in, right now, but 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 very close. And and I think that's nice work for a team, um, you know, swept Edmonton in the first round and then collapsed against the Habs. But uh, but boy, it, 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 I think they did a nice job in in Winnipeg, and and the fans there should be pretty excited. Yeah, I, I thought Kevin Shovelayoff hit it out of the park. I really did. And, and, you know, as I wrote, like I felt last fall after the off season. It's still weird to say last fall, but last fall was when free agency happened in October. <laughs> and uh, I thought the IT team in terms of what they got done was Montreal. Um, and 
you know, ended up being quite an up and down year for the Habs to prove that that offseason would have that impact, but they end up in the cup final. And I feel that it team now is Winnipeg. Uh, And, you know, the offseason is not over. I guess I'm making a judgment in this moment in time, but um, I I just think for everything you just outlined, Scotty, you know, they're they're never going to be big players in free agency. Uh, It's hard to get people to go to Winnipeg. And frankly, it's hard to get people to go to a lot of the Canadian markets, but um, you know, the way they navigated those trades and, and, you know, let, let's put it this way. They added two top four defensemen for the totality of two seconds and a third. And, yeah. and, and that's just tremendous work in, in getting Nate Schmidt and, and Brendan Dillon. And, um, you know, they are able to keep Dylan DeMello, who was exposed in expansion draft and kind of got lucky there. But, you know, they lost a good player up front, Mason Appleton. But that's the lesser of two evils. I mean, they could not lose DeMello. And so now they're, they, they've stabilized their blue line, which really was a problem since the summer of 2019. I mean, you know, they didn't know that Justin Bufflin was going to show up to camp and say, I'm out in September 2019, right? And so before all that, they let Ben Chirot walk to Montreal, which they hated because they loved Ben Chirot. Um, Myers going to Vancouver that summer wasn't the end of the world. They, weren't gonna, they didn't feel like, like they would get in financially on him. Uh, and then, of course, they were really forced into the Jacob Chuba trade. But the, the idea was that with Bufflin and Morrissey at the top of that group, they can get by. And then they lose Bufflin. And that was just – they really spent, I think, two years getting out of that crater, I think. And it affected their team. They weren't the same team because of the problems on the blue line. So I feel that this is a, an amazing recovery. Now you look at a team that is deep up front, of course, has a Vesna Trophy winning goalie, and now has stabilized a blue line. I, I'm with you. I think they're right back to being a contender. Uh, all right, my friend. And, and speaking of the Central, we're going to talk to J.P. Barry here, as promised, in, in just a moment. Uh, and we're going to take a break. But I don't want you to let me forget, because I'm uh, I'm curious about a couple of other Central Division moves. Um, and we'll kick those around after our conversation with J.P. Barry, Agent to the Stars. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. JP Barry joining us. So we just before we came on, I was sort of joking that after, you know, Dougie Hamilton signs that deal with the New Jersey Devils, maybe you're just sitting at home, you got your feet up, maybe you got a I don't know, maybe you got a latte or something going, but I, I, it <laughs> strikes me JP that uh the machinery of hockey, certainly from the agent's perspective, uh never quite stops and and certainly as we're only into the second day of free agency, uh there's probably work ahead of you, but to, to maybe walk Pierre and I and, and and all our listeners through what that first day of free agency is like and and specifically as it relates to Dougie Hamilton's big deal in New Jersey. Yeah, I mean in general we, you know, obviously We've been preparing for weeks and tapping into all our resources around the business about what people are looking for and what positions they're looking for and types of players they're looking for. So we work as a team at CAA. So myself, Pat, and Jim Nice, and um, uh, Ethan Fink also out, out in LA are we're working together. So we were on a Zoom all yesterday, starting you know very early in the morning, um, just to keep us connected. So we've all, as we know, we've all become more comfortable with working with Zoom or uh, something like that uh, the last year, but it, it puts us all in the same room. So I was, you know, they were listening to, um, you know, who I was making contacts with and vice versa, trying to figure out what to do for our clients. So the whole day went that way pretty much from early in the morning all the way to late last night, trying to see how many contracts we could do. And it was a good day. I, we, you know, we, we knocked off several, but we have several more to go. <laughs> 
And JP, maybe walk us through the, uh, you know, the, the Hamilton contract with New Jersey as best as you can, of course. Um, some things you can't share, I know, but, but you know, even for people listening that, that, that may not quite understand the intricacies of it all, like, it's one thing to say, okay, it's going to be seven years and nine million AEV, but even from that initial departure point, there's a lot of work to fill in the rest, right? I mean, is that part of, of what played out yesterday? Yeah, once we, you know, we engaged early, we had some talks. I mean, we felt there was a need in New Jersey and that they would be, you know, coming to the table and they did. They had a lot of interest. So once, you know, probably the first hour, like you're putting together the the numbers and once we knew the numbers, however, for a, a contract that large, it, it did take a long time. I mean, we had to, I had, you know, had some thoughts about how to structure that deal. Um, we had to like get through all the signing bonus versus salary structures. Um, these contracts are also, there's guidelines. So, you know, if you, in the NHL, if you front load a contract, then it's a little bit easier to structure it. So a little bit more difficult to structure it. Sorry. Right. And if, if you backload it, it's a little easy, easier to structure. So, but, but I'm looking at the breakdown that uh, Darren Dreger put out last night and, um, it's interesting. A lot of the middle years of this deal are the higher numbers, both when you combine the, well, just in total compensation, right? And so sort of lower at the front, but lower at the back, interestingly. Yeah, I mean, what we did, actually, if you do the math on that contract, it's um, it's exactly the same in the front and the back. Right. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, basically, uh, you know, 12 to 13 million, I guess. Yeah, so what we did is, yeah. like, we tried to make sure that it wasn't uh, front-loaded, so... We were able to kind of keep it the same in the front and the back. And and my view of the way this contract should be structured is that uh, the contract should be in the middle. Um, the team agreed also. I mean, it provides doing that provides us um, some benefit because we know for the first time ever that escrow numbers are sort of locked in here in the next three or four years, at least. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could work with the escrow numbers that were there. And then also the team... Um, also preferred that the bulk of the contract be paid in the middle because as we've seen in the last few years, like moving a player at the end sometimes, and you know, you have to prepare for these things. Like it's not always going to be the perfect, perfect wedding. So you have to think about how things are going to go, not just the first few years, but the entire contract. So, you know, I think there was some agreement that we'll try to put as much as we can in the middle. And then um, the contract becomes a little bit more easy to handle in the last three years. Yeah, I'm curious. And having spent some time around Dougie and in Raleigh, and such a thoughtful guy, and I wonder, like, how during the process of something like this, how often are you talking with Dougie? Do you talk to him about these things, like structure? Some players, I'm assuming, maybe are less concerned of it and just simply trust you to come up with the structure that works best for for all concerned. Or and maybe even beyond that, you know, the discussions with the team about fit and, you know, the relationship with Lindy Ruff and Tom Fitzgerald, the GM there. I'm wondering just how that works. How much is the player like Dougie Hamilton engaged in this process? Well, if you know Dougie, you know he had better marks in school than I did. So (laughs) (laughs) I I would never judge you that way, JP Barry, but okay, maybe. (laughs) So no, I I had spoken to Dougie about, uh, about the way I would, you know, like to do it and, 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 talked to him in advance so he did know that before we, we started so he you know obviously he trusted me to come up with that structure but uh i let him know that there was sort of a way that i'd like to do this contract and you know he was patient so um and tom was too like tom was trying to figure out what was best for their side and there was um movement um around you know the structure in the years once we were able to um you know the, the way the structure works the, the, the rules out there are pretty complicated for uh if you front load it, you can only move about twenty percent each year. You know, each year back and forth. Whereas if you back load it, you can you can basically move um, as far up as the lower of the first two years, and as far down as half of the lower of the first two years. So it's called the hundred percent rule in the CBA, and it's not a fun provision to read. <laughs> no, no. Just out of curiosity, obviously, I wouldn't ask you to name other teams, but you know. I assume that once you give Tom Fitzgerald your word, but then you still have three, four, five hours of work to to de- to, to paper the the deal. Um, like our team's still calling and just saying, hey, uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> team's trying to find out what's going on, but 
once you know what you know once i make a decision with the team well, once i had agreed on the um on the on the dollars i'm not taking any more phone calls right you know we're past we're past the bell now mm-hmm. and and we have a team that we're going to do a deal with so we're going to sit down and get that done so um you know we spent the better part of the afternoon coming up with structure and and then on top of the structure once that's in place um the language I mean, there's right. some language there so you know we had to discuss um their their request for um, we, we wanted a no move clause, of course, and they wanted flexibility in the last three years. So right, so it's a modified no trade in the last three years. Yeah, it is absolutely. And, uh, so there's language around um, that in our list, and and then quite frankly, calculators to make sure that your numbers <laughs> are correct. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the the other JP, the other of course, it's very public because uh, the Hurricanes have talked about it. But the other unique part of this process for such a big name and a big free agent is that you actually have had the the green light to talk to teams for a long time. You didn't have to wait till, till this week, um, yeah. which, I, which I don't know how fruitful that actually ended up being for you, but you tell me. It wasn't fruitful really because the market was clogged up with options and, um, and the kind of the way this business works, it backs, it backs, you know, options stack teams have different needs. So I was saying all along, I think it was a little bit frustrating for Carolina that there really wasn't a market until um, I think Seth Jones did his deal. My partner Pat uh, did a um, was involved with getting him traded and signed uh, mm-hmm. to Chicago. I think that sort of set off the D market because you know that was another top D that was out there, and it's relevant when those top Ds are floating around. You guys know that whether at the draft or otherwise, they're part of the mix, and and then people realign and look at what their needs are. So a lot of stuff happens in the last four days as far as you know who the teams that are actually in the mix for your clients so you have to watch all that as it as it develops so you know before, a little bit before the draft and through the draft yeah. uh, jp pierre and i were talking just as we were getting ready to go and he, he's of course getting ready to head to the cottage our, this is our last show of the of this season and we we're talking about the past 16 months and just how you know it's it's something hopefully we'll never go through again and certainly as an industry and a business it's it has made it's just been completely unique and i'm wondering if you are seeing from your perspective as an agent that are we sort of trending towards something called normalcy i know with a flat cap ahead it's still a challenge but do you get a sense that you know once we get back on the ice in the fall for the 21 22 season that we will be sort of trending the right way or what kind of things are you seeing in your part of the business that that are maybe indicators of where we're at yeah i think we've gone through so much pessimism and i mean of course, why not? It's been a, a crazy couple of years. So yes, I mean, people buckled down and I think the last two years were really difficult and the market and people like not sure, you know, none of us were sure what the future is. I think people are definitely more optimistic this summer. We all know that we're not, we're not fully through this, but we're more optimistic. So it does feel like things were a little bit more, I, I think after a couple of years of not making moves also i think some teams needed to make some moves like it, it's not just us being optimistic i think the reality was a lot of contracts were expiring and players were moving on and you know uh, performance levels so a lot of teams had had to had to do business this year so from the agent side that's good <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and and i you know i said at the top of the show jp i don't know if you agree i also felt last fall when we we had the other free agency before 2021 there were just 20 teams uncertain of revenue streams and what a season would look like if we even were going to have a season and i think it greatly affected the market last october and and felt none of that (laughs) yesterday felt absolutely none of that no i think it's changed i mean i I agree that was that was the low point for sure um and now i think everyone wants to get going and i mean everyone's trying to be optimistic that we actually you know have an 82 game season again and and get moving obviously we have to get through some things in canada and the united states i'm not sure who i'm more worried about right now the u.s or canada right but um, I, as a canadian i think canada is doing a little bit better right now in my opinion but with the vaccinations i guess no argument there yeah yeah and that'll probably be well obviously one of the, there's another topic vaccinations i mean we've seen other leagues go through it here uh, how are we going to tackle it in hockey i i hope i think our vaccination rate is going to be higher among, amongst our players and coaches and things than than everyone else. I, I, 
I'm curious about that, JP. I just like, does that come up organically when you're talking to your clients and you're talking, you know, you know, whether it's young players uh, working on entry level deals or veteran players that are looking to sign new contracts with new teams? Like, does that come up in your conversations? And do you have like you guys are a massive uh, organization? Is there a policy? Like, are you how do, how do you handle that? Because it's, you know, we've seen yeah, in different I mean, sports. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, in our client relationship, we have to be careful. I mean, people have feelings, but you know, we have to keep it, you know, in house. But uh, SCA as a group, yes, I mean, you know, because you know, we are football, we are basketball, and we've discussed all that stuff. But I think it's going to come down to what the NHL and the NHLPA are going to do as a league, and and this is definitely an area where the NHLPA is going to have a lot of say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they can determine uh, conditions of work. Uh, you know, in their collective bargaining relationship with the league. And I'm, I think that's going to be an interesting topic in the next little while, actually. If you had the magic wand, would would you mandate <laughs> you're, tra- you're, you're trying to trap JP into I'm a common tra- area. I'm Scotty. not even trapped. I know what you're it's doing. Tra- I'm you just curious. You don't need to trap me. Uh, maybe I'm, um, I, I've, ha- I've been asked my opinion a few times, and uh, um, maybe I'm a little bit, maybe it's because I'm a Canadian, but I, I think – that we, ha- I think we can determine the conditions of work. And if we say that you need to be vaccinated to enter the workplace, I think we can do that legally. Yeah. So that's how, that's my opinion. So um, I, I don't know if there's any other way around it in professional sports. And I, we're seeing that. I know, I don't know if you recently saw, but in England in soccer, you're not allowed to enter the stadium to watch the game unless you're vaccinated. So not just the, the players, the fans have to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, before we let you go, I mean, you represent a lot of, High-end players, uh, so I'd be remiss uh, if, if I didn't ask you, uh, for example, on Morgan Riley, um, who has a year left on his deal. And, um, uh, you know, I think Kyle Dewis uh, said publicly that, you know, he kind of had parked that uh, that file until he can get through the draft and, and free agency, et cetera. What's your sense of where, where that's headed with uh, Morgan, uh, GP? Well, I mean, I've had, I had, I met with Morgan before he went home a few months ago. And we, you know, just did an overview of the market and said, look, obviously you have to see what happens to the, uh, the market this summer because it'll probably be different again. And I think it is different again. I mean, there's a few more comparables. And I guess, you know, we were involved in two of them. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a couple more comparables to look at. I mean, they're not, none of them are perfect, but. You know, he could be somewhere in between the two of them, or he could be, you know, similar to a few of the comparables and some other comparables that are still out there. So, I mean, obviously the D market is is moving. And um, I think it's also shifted upward with those younger players signing new deals, whether it's McCarr and Heiskanen and and we have, um, I mean, Hughes is to come. And and so the mm-hmm. whole D market, I think the emphasis on defense is, has shifted a, a little bit higher. This, I think that if you look at the overall market, that's the one area, the elite defenseman market seems to have, uh, you know, added some comparables. Yeah, I, I would argue globally speaking, it feels like the D are eating some cap space away from the goalies, interestingly. Yeah, know? I would argue. And I thought, I think it was a little bit t- like the movement on goaltending this year. I don't have as many goaltenders. Um, um, we have a few, but... The movement on goaltenders also uh, is seems to be a lot of movement on goaltenders, probably because mm-hmm. of what you said, like finding the money in the right place, right? Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right. Well, I well, well, hold on. You, I mean, you mentioned Quinn Hughes. Hold on. Well, <laughs> okay. I mean, obviously, that's been ongoing, and Jim Benning's talked about it a few times with the Vancouver media. Obviously, it's a huge priority along with uh, Elias Pettersson, but which I mean, and there is no deadline to those things other than your players want to be signed for camp, I'm sure, but what's your sense yeah. of that? Yeah. yeah, we're working on both right now. Um, in fact, we'll probably have a call here in a couple hours, a uh, group. So we're collectively, Pat and I are, are doing that together um, with Elias and, and Quinn. And um, the, I think the difficult part after everything that we've seen right now is is matching up our term uh, wishes with their term wishes because the contracts for these younger players are very different depending on the term. Mm-hmm. And, uh because you're talking about free agent years versus restricted years. So that's going to be a little bit of the challenge. Obviously, you know, we've got some new signings in here and we have to work around them, but you know, that's, that's what we're all working on right now is like trying to find that sweet spot where both sides are, are happy. It's not rocket science to me in the sense that I think if you're the team, 
it's whether you take your pain now or later. And, and, and you know, listen, Tampa, I think, did a really good job of Braden Point, but they still have to pay him big finally, right? They, they, they got him lower on the bridge, but now he's going to make $76 million in his in a year from now. <laughs> I mean, that's just – that that's basically, I think, your decision as a team is when you finally want to go pot committed uh, with right. your core guys, right? Right. And the bridges, but you can look at the bridge for Point and you can say it kind of worked because now – Look at the average over 11 years. Like if the bridge is strong, which it was for Point and it was for Barzal and a few of these other guys, um, Kachuk, they all have strong bridges. And then you add their next deals, you'll see that we're talking 11 years, not eight, right? So, right, right. Uh, they're prime. So there is some advantages to look at the term of taking a, a short bridge and then moving mm-hmm. forward. And yeah, uh, I think what you guys did uh, in a previous CBA with Kane and Days as well. Absolutely. Uh, and Malkin and Crosby. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All roads go through CAA, apparently. So. That's it. Um, but it's interesting, you know, the big firms, CAA uh, and Newport and Octagon. I, 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 I'm, I'd, I'd love to be a fly in the wall when, when the big firms have group think calls about the trends in the industry, JP. Like, it must be interesting because I would imagine the key to those conversations is to not all not always be in agreement, that you have to sort of hear different viewpoints in terms of, of coming up with a strategy, right? I mean, that, that's yeah, interesting. I think, yeah, I think, I think different people have different mindsets on what to do. And, you know, but you have to work with teams too, because you can't obviously, you know, hold, you know, get into a situation where you're not playing in the fall every year. So you got to figure out what works for them also. It doesn't always work that a team can do eight years. So you have to figure that out. Yeah. yeah. Hey, do, do you guys still do, uh, JP? I know we've, I've, I, I've angled for a trip to California in the past, but do you, you used to do um, bringing your young players and maybe all of your clients, but sort of a, a camp, a pre-camp camp. And I know with COVID that would have been difficult, but that, that strikes me as something that has been, you know, was part of something that you helped to put together. It, it, will that come back? It, how important is that kind of gathering? Yeah, we do it for our, obviously with our younger players before the draft, we bring them in for a couple of years. You know, it was large in California. We have, you know, 20 years of camps that grew from year to year. Because of this, we've had to do regional. Like we did a smaller Canadian camp and a smaller Swedish camp and a smaller U.S. camp just because of, you know, the border issues. Um, but what we do also as a group, I mean, obviously now, I mean, Zoom has taken over. We, we were meeting uh, weekly as a group with our whole team because we're spread out. I mean, we have Czech, uh, Sweden, Russia, Finland. So, we, you know, we kept together this whole year. Um, with technology, and I have to say, we had our strongest year ever with the draft, and 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 we're you know it can work, but there's nothing like getting together. So we'll bring, we're you know our hope is that we can all go to California for the first time in two years into our main office there, and and we can all meet. But let's you know, we'll cross our fingers yeah. on that. Well, I can't speak for Pierre, but I'm always up for a trip to California. So if you, <laughs> you know, anyway, just. Just throwing that out there. I, I'm always I'm always up for a trip to Napa, but that's a different uh, that's a different reason. <laughs> All right, JP, I would have said take the rest of the day off, but it doesn't sound like that's in the cards for you. But uh, thank you for coming and hanging out with Pierre and I. It's it's always so insightful to to catch up, and um, thanks for sharing some time at a very busy time for you. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, have a great thanks for coming on, have JP. A, have a great summer. Hopefully, I'll. Uh, when I get back to Toronto, I can still get up to North there, Pierre. Yes, uh, we'll, uh, you know, maybe we'll do uh, a big sit-down interview for The Athletic <laughs> when I come back to work. I like it. Yep. Good. All right. Take care, JP. Thank you. Good work by you at the last minute to get JP on. Very timely with that Dougie Hamilton deal. And uh, hey, listen, it's, it's it really is an, a fascinating look into, you know, sort of the machinery uh, of the NHL and, and how a day like yesterday works and all the moving parts. So good job by you. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a grind, I think for JP Barry uh, throughout this process, obviously they were never able to get Carolina to really move up. I think Carolina's final offer was 5.75 million a year. And, uh, and again, it's not like the hurricanes are not a cap team, but they have their ideas about how they want to spread that money around. So, Probably disappointing for Dougie at some level to leave a team where he had, he had fit in so well, but Agreed. really a, a tremendous job to be buried to get nine million. I did not think nine million a year was there in the market for Doug Allenton. I got to be honest. So that was a tremendous job by JP. There were some pretty good contracts by 
different agents uh, yesterday. You know, I thought Don Meehan getting five and a half million a year over six years for Phil Deneau. Uh, I thought that was one of the home run contracts yesterday. I, I, I was certainly proven wrong. I did not think Deneau had north of five on the market myself. Just again, tremendous shutdown player, but not a lot of offense. So, uh, so that was one for sure that, uh, that, that I looked at. Uh, but what about you? What are some of the deals that, yeah, no, I, I'm completely with you. And I and to me, it speaks to how important the playoffs are and how closely people watch. I mean, Phil Deneau was, I mean, uh, he was such an important part of that magical run to the final for the Canadians. And as you point out, he's not a, a he's not an offense producer. And I, I, I wrote this in, in sort of my grade that. You know, people in L.A. or fans will be like, geez, that's a lot of money. And But you know when they will appreciate that contract is when the Kings are, are in the playoffs. And in the Pacific, mm-hmm. they are in that mix. I, I, you know, Todd McClellan is such a good coach. They have a ton of really good young players. Um, I thought uh, Alex Edler signing for one year there. Um, Phil Deneau playing behind Andre Kopitar. I, I think that Kings team is going to be close, and uh, that's well, when they'll. I'll appreciate. tell you, who's probably not thrilled that uh, that Phil Deneau's in, in their division now, and Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty when uh, <laughs> yeah. Vegas plays LA. And of course, well, Vegas exactly. is a yeah. Vegas is a better team. Of course, they're on different arcs in their place in the world, but uh, that was not a fun series for Stone and Pacioretty against Deneau and the Habs. Yeah, no, there's no question. No question. All right. Well, we're going to get to some of the other uh, things that happened yesterday. We've got a bunch of questions as we wrap up this edition of Two Man Advantage and the last one of the 2020-21 season. All right, my friend, got some questions here. And this is great because with these questions, we can uh, cover off some of the, you know, some of the things that we didn't talk about or maybe some of the players who ended up in new homes yesterday. Um Let's uh, let's go. Let's start with this. One. This is from Aaron Halverson, um, and he's wondering about some of the players who are still available. Maybe you know, sort of lower profile players, uh, players who didn't, you know, sort of jump right into the frenzy yesterday. Are, are, are there some guys that you are keeping tabs on? I know you mentioned Brandon Sod. I'm not sure he qualifies as sort of lower profile. He's a two-time Stanley Cup winner, but are there still are the of the guys that are out there, you're like, are you like, well, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen here. I mean, I think one name that intrigues me is Eric Stahl. Um, and, you know, maybe it's because I wrote that big piece on, on him and his family during the cup final. But, you know, number one, I kind of wondered if he still wanted to play. And obviously he does. Uh, that's what his agent Rick Curran told me. So he's on the market and I'm curious to see what the fit would be there for him. I mean, he just built a, a new home, uh, with his family in Minnesota, but obviously the Wild, uh, you know, uh, that's not an option after they traded him yes, uh, last year. But you know, can they find him a spot on a competitive team that uh, that you know that that isn't a five-hour flight from Minnesota? I guess is the way I would put it. So that so that intrigues me to find out where where he ends up. Yes, and I'm uh, sort of interested in. Well, you know, here's he's not. I'm really interested to see what happens with with Tuka Rask, right? I mean, he's, um, you know, we know that uh, Boston had to make a move uh, with Tuka Rask's uh, offseason surgery. He's, it looks like he won't be healthy until early in the new year, so 2022, um, and uh, signing Linus Allmark there. But you know, it's hard to imagine Tuka Rask anywhere else he is a ufa and and it's such a great career for him and i'm so i'm curious he's not a traditional ufa i suppose but i'm curious to see what happens because it's not only you know how does the rehab go and all those kinds of things but then he has to then he, then they have to come to terms because he is a ufa so does, it, does that make sense yeah. to you? Yeah, you with me on that yeah i yeah. mean and it's interesting because it, i mean i you know he's i guess he's not coming back till january or the earliest but I mean, it feels like the Bruins will just sign him when the time is right. But, you know, they just they spent a lot of money on Linus Allmark yesterday. So I don't know that there's any guarantees here. So that will be interesting. Yeah, well, and, and Swayman, the young goaltender who came up, played so well down the stretch for the Bruins. And, like, he really is 
he's uh, he's a, a real talent. So yeah, I think it will be interesting. And he's such, you know, listen, I know Tuka's fans in Boston have been unkind to him at times. I think unfun fairly so, uh, but to me, he's such an important part of the of that core. You know, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Zdeno Char, Tuka Rask. Those are. Those are the players who who revived that franchise in in Boston and really created the dynamic that's been there for a decade. So, anyway, yeah. How about Nick Foligno picking Boston over Toronto and Minnesota? Oh boy! Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I thought I thought there was some interesting that's, work uh, there. Yeah. That one hurts. That one hurt for the Leafs, I think. Well, and certainly, you know, not telling tales out of school, but having spent some time in Minnesota last week, there's no question that uh, Nick Foligno was on the Wilds' radar, hoping that the brothers, Marcus and Nick, would find, a, you know, that they would be able to play together in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, and and Nick was, you know why people want him? Because he's a character guy. For he's sure. still a good player. Would have been a great fit in Minnesota, you know, as they as they navigate this post Parise Suter world, um, but no, and, and there is a real connection with Boston, right? His daughter had life saving surgery in Boston. They spent a lot mm-hmm. of time there. They committed a lot of money in terms of charitable work to medical um, in the medical area in Boston. So yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think it's a great sign. By the way, your piece uh, being embedded with the Wild Front Office last week was tremendous. <laughs> if people are listening and haven't read it yet. Uh-huh. Need to make sure to go read that. Uh, good, good boy by you. Pick that right up. See, this is why you're a t- true pro. You pick that right up. Um, all right, let's. Uh, this is a question from Jonathan Morris, um, and it's what does it take for Anaheim to get Jack Eichel? But to me, this it's will broaden this out. Uh, you know, we we go through expansion draft, the draft, the first day of free agency, um, and, and still the the Jack Eichel situation remains unresolved in fact it may even be murkier because i know mike russo our uh, fine fine minnesota wild reporter indicating that that you know the wild had interest it was an obvious fit right they, they need an elite center to go with kaprizov and, and what they're building there but it looks like they're they have backed away from that now and it's it, it's still out there so you know, and that's like it's, it's, you know, Kevin Adams still has his hands full with what to do with Jack Eichel in Buffalo. Yeah. And, you know, I, I said this uh, to, to someone at TSN um, after the first round of the draft was over last Friday. I said, oh boy, that was an important window missed on the Eichel front. Yes. And that's not a criticism of Kevin Adams at all. I'm just saying that there are different sort of pressure points where things might happen and, and the first round is always one of them because you can include first round picks in the deal and and once the first round came and went without an Eichel deal I just remember thinking I the so now there is no real like this trade could happen now it could happen in September like what's the difference I mean it's not like there's a deadline now um, I mean you could argue maybe they should have got a deal done before free agency because teams are filling up cap space and that is that is true, and I'll give you a great example. You know, the LA Kings, I know, had talks with Buffalo about Jack Eichel, but once they signed Phil Deneau, there's no room for Jack Eichel in LA with Kopitar and Deneau down the middle. No, exactly. Um, so so there's a team that's gone. Um, but having said that, I mean, Kevin Adams has been, you know, I'm thinking about some of his last few media availabilities when asked about this, but I think he said, you know, Unless he gets what he feels is is the right return, that he's going to be patient, and clearly he's showing that. Um, I just don't think the market has been that hot, and I think some of it is the neck injury, the neck situation where he's going to need you know, surgery. He wants to have surgery right after he gets traded, um, and of course, to ten million a year in a flat cap world, there's a lot going on here. So, to get to the Anaheim part of this, yes, the Ducks have looked at it, but I don't. I mean, I could be wrong and maybe he ends up there, but I don't view them as a great match for the reason that Anaheim is after some of the same things that Buffalo is, which is futures. The Ducks want to get younger here. And the Ducks are listening on some of their older core guys uh, in exchange for younger players. That's what the Ducks are looking at. So how do you make an Eichel deal work other than the fact that Eichel is young himself, so that would appeal to Anaheim, but... But what are you moving out of your team that would make sense if you're Anaheim, if the Sabres want some high-end futures? So that's why I've always struggled with the Anaheim fit. Yeah, I, I, I just, 
I, I don't know. I, I, I keep saying this. I'm the only one. Well, just, you know, don't trade him. You know, what? Who can't play for Don Granato? Come back, rehabilitate your, you know, I, I you, you have to resolve the injury thing, right? Like, you have to resolve, are you going to get the surgery on the disc replacement in the neck? You know, what's the timing on that? You have to resolve that. But but if you're if you're Buffalo, you also have to resolve, like, a, a, you know, the ask. And I'm not saying you should give Jack Eichel away, but the ask is enormous. And the fact that, you know, my sense of it is not really interested in eating any of that salary. Holy cow. Right. Well, who can who can do that? So, I mean, anyway. at some point, I guess I guess there, there's the hockey side and then there's just, you know, everything else. Like, I wonder at some point if the, the Pagula's ownership just goes to Kevin Adams and says, you know what, I've had, I've had enough. Just take what you can. And that happens sometimes. In yes, for sure. Yeah. Oh. Like, like, so uh, on the other hand, um, I'll give you an example, and you know it's not app- it's not apples and apples, but Joe Sackett got severely, severely criticized by a lot of people, including me, by the way, when he didn't trade Matt Duchesne back in the day in a time period that we thought he should have. He went <laughs> yes. through a whole draft without trading him, if you remember, and then you know, and just kept waiting and waiting and waiting until finally it was either October or November. He makes that th- that rather famous now three-way deal with Ottawa and Nashville, which is one of the great transactions, really, in the modern-day NHL history, where the Avs end up with, you know, they end up with Samuel Girard, a first-round pick that turns into Bowen Byram. Uh, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> it was just unbelievable the way that all played out. And and the point being that we all thought he had missed his window on dealing Duchesne six months earlier, and we were wrong. His patience worked out. Yeah, that's a you know what? That's a really good point. That's an excellent point because, it, and I have not you know, this is truly isn't about me, but I have you know I said through all of this. Well, why just honestly, if you can't get what you want, you you own Jack Eichel's rights for five years. He is going to come and play hockey for you if he can't play somewhere else. Like, Well, and, and by the way, if the worst case scenario is that he doesn't show up to camp, then you're not paying him $10 million. So, well, uh, exactly. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, all right. let's, it is what it is. Yes. Okay, let's take two, let's take a couple more, and then uh, then you, we'll put you out the door. We should close things out here. We've got a question from our good friend Al Lalonde in... Ottawa. Oh wow! Yeah, I know he is, and this isn't about personal grooming, so I can. I, this is good. I can read it. Uh, his question is, who did too much this week? And and really, the second part of that: can you can you do too much? Can you do too much to your roster? Because I think I think the answer is yes, you can sometimes because it's you know if you move a, you know a ton of pieces. There's a lot of work to be done then when you when you gather for the start of the season and getting something going. Are there teams that you're like, geez, I wonder, there's so many moving parts. How is that going to work out? Um, this is probably not quite the answer he was looking for, but I will tell you if there's a team that I think still needs to do some things between now and September, because right now I don't know that I view them in the same way. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not as good a team as they were a year ago right now. And, you know, me, maybe Peter Morazic will prove me wrong, but I think they're not as good in goal. Uh, they didn't replace Zach Hyman. Um, you know, so, and it's not from a lack of trying. I mean, you know, I think they showed interest in Michael Granlin before he, Granlin tipped his toes quickly and went back to Nashville. Um, Obviously, had interest in bringing back Nick Foligno, and and certainly, I think they looked at a few other forwards. And it's not done. I mean, the Leafs at some point, Kyle Dubas, I think, indicated this yesterday. But you know, they're going to try and find that top nine forward through one way or another between now and training camp. So, uh, I'm not ready to give this a final judgment. But if there's a team that I look at right now, I'm like, yeah, they're they've slipped a bit, and I think it's the Leafs. Yeah, that's I, I I've been thinking this trying to. You know, it's been a topsy-turvy offseason in Edmonton. And, and for me, they're a team, I wonder, I think, frankly, the exact same thing. I don't think they're as good as they were when they entered the playoffs and were swept by Winnipeg, shockingly. But And some of it's beyond their control, right? I mean, you know, Oscar Kleffbaum's injury, you know, that that's that's problematic. He's such a good player. Um, you hmm. know, losing Adam Larson to Seattle, 
Um, that's, that's a huge blow to that blue line. And now you've got 38-year-old Duncan Keith, and you bring Tyson Berry back. Um, it, you know, Cody Seethy, I thought, was excellent in Pittsburgh. But, man, he's, you know, that market in Edmonton is so critical that... Um, and it took him a while in Pittsburgh to really find his footing. I just think there's going to be a lot of pressure on that Edmonton team. And I don't know if they're as good defensively. I, I, I really, you know, I love, we talked about Carolina. I, I, I think Ethan Bear is going to be a, a really solid NHL defenseman. And I just, you know, he went through a lot in Edmonton. And I thought he grew as a player there. But he goes in the Warren Fogle deal. I don't know. I just, I look at Edmonton, I'm like, geez. It, it, it's, and to me, it's a lot of pressure on Mike Smith, 39 years old, comes back, he signs a two-year deal there. But boy, there's a lot of pressure in Edmonton, and I'm not sure they're any better than they were when they were swept by Winnipeg. That's my Yeah, and I, and I think you speak for the majority. I, I saw a lot of that analysis yesterday. So I'll, so I'll just, just for the sake of it, I, I have the sneaking suspicion the Oilers are actually better. And it's one of those things I can't really defend in the moment because I think you laid it out perfectly. But again, I think Hyman was a huge addition. Now, do I like the rest of that contract in about three or four years? <laughs> yeah, of course. Probably not. But in the here and now, he's a huge addition. They needed that type of player in their four group. I think Duncan Keith is going to surprise people next year. Yep. Um, you know what? I actually think... And again, it's hard for me to to state the case because I think you laid it out perfectly. But I got a sneaky feeling the Oilers are actually next year are, are actually going to take a step forward. Okay. All yeah. right. All right. I love that. I, you know, like we'll revisit that. Yeah, we will. We will. All right. Uh, my friend Stephen Bryce wants to know what kind of wine Pierre is drinking at the end of the broadcast. Well, Not we're, getting, we're getting a message from Jeff to wrap it up. He's got oh, another know, podcast. But- so let's go. I just Dude, you did a great a job this answer. year. You did a great job this year. Uh, thanks for putting up with me. Um, and uh, I love you like a brother. I know you're going to come up to my cottage and see me in September. So that's exciting. Um, for everyone uh, listening, uh, we'll be back in uh, late September. Taking a long break here. Cannot wait. And I uh, love you, man. <laughs> All right. I, I I got things to do here. I got business to take care of. So just don't leave just yet. I know you got, you're half out the door. Uh, <laughs> Jim and Ellen Hughes, the parents of Luke, Jack, and Quinn Hughes, join Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly on the Athletic Hockey Show this week. And you should check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And rate and subscribe to The Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for $3.99 a month for six months. See, I read that without weeping. You got me all weepy before you were saying goodbye. So, But no, travel safely, my friend. Uh, take and enjoy this time. It is so well-deserved. You are the king. Talk to you soon. Right on, right on.